Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. The website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission of truth. And just a reminder, this broadcast is 100% listener-supported. You can do that by becoming a monthly patron, by going to patreon.com slash truthfed, or just go to the website, scriptureandprophecy.com, and click on the Donate and Support tab at the top. Today, we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to Matthew. Ready for chapter 14, which deals with Herod and the beheading of John the Baptist, the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus walking on water. 36 verses, so not super long this morning, but super powerful nonetheless. So open up your hearts. Let's see what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, King James Bible. Let's begin. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John, and bound him, and put him in prison, for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he permitted with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John the Baptist's head and a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake. And them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, He departed thence by a ship into a desert place apart. When the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth, and he saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. So please note, what we have here is First of all, I think we overlook this. We don't understand how, and how, just how painful and incredible this news would have been to Jesus and his disciples and the multitude of disciples that also followed John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was viewed as a prophet, even by the Pharisees and uh, you know pretty much everyone in Jerusalem. So, it wasn't. It wasn't like a, 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 an odd thought. It was a common thought throughout the religious community that John the Baptist was a prophet. 
which he was. And Jesus himself said of John the Baptist, there's not been a, a person born, a greater person, greater man born among women than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was obviously Jesus' cousin. So this wouldn't have been like a brushing off the shoulder type of news. This would have been painful news. Um, his own disciples had to come and collect just his body. This is a, you know, like I said, it's overlooked, I feel like. It's actually a serious thing that took place. Now let's talk about why John the Baptist was arrested to begin with. John the Baptist was imprisoned by King Herod for pointing out, basically, the incest and the sin surrounding all of that that was taking place in Herod's house. So just to give you a little bit of uh, commentary on this, Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, another son of Herod the Great. All right, So this would have been the current King Herod's brother. So it was his wife. So when she married Philip... She was marrying her own father's brother, if that makes sense. It's a tangled, it's a tangled web here. So she married her own father's brother. Precipitated the arrest of John the Baptist was that Herod Antipas, another of Herod's Herodes' uncles talked Herodias into leaving her husband, his brother, in order to marry him, thus compounding the incest as well as violating, obviously, the law. So John was outraged that a ruler in Israel would commit such a sin openly. So he rebuked Herod severely, and for this he was imprisoned and then later killed. It's, it's even worse than that. So the daughter of Herodias, the one that was dancing for the party that led to, to, led to this, Salome, daughter of Herodias and Philip, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, she ended up marrying yet another one of the sons, her own father's brother, and her mother's uncle. Therefore, further entangling the web of incest. So that is the mess that was Herod's house. And so much so that it's hard to even understand exactly how these relationships shook out, right? Um, but that is what John the Baptist was preaching against and therefore led to his imprisonment. He was calling them out for their filth because... John the Baptist, and rightfully so, believed that, it, that a ruler over Israel should not have such a grotesque and open sinful life. All right, let's move forward. Verse 15. And it was, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place. And the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves 
victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them something to eat. And I say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples. And the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained at twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So please note, it wasn't just five thousand, was it? And that day, when they were taking a number, uh, they would count the men. So it was five thousand men. And that's not counting the, the, men, the wives of the men, or just women that were there that weren't married, and children... This was quite the multitude uh, that Jesus was able to feed to abundance with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, showing that God is the one who actually provides, right? And he can multiply anything. Continuing on. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. Something else important to note. I'm sorry for continuing to interrupt. Even Jesus, the Son of God, knew the importance of solitude knew the importance of being able to get away by themselves and commune with God. This is very important. For me, it takes place in the early a.m. while it's still dark and I'm the only one awake. That's when I do this podcast. That's when I, and I usually fall, I, well, I pray for an anointing for the, for the purpose of the podcast then I do the podcast, reading God's Word, and if it's a day that I'm not recording, then I'm reading what I'm going to be recording the following day. And then I follow that up with uh, some time on my knees praying before I start my day of work and all of those things. Because I know that once the sun comes up, it's going to be pretty much impossible to get away, right? To get to solitude. Yeah, I'll have some moments where I can do some uh, quiet praying uh you know, throughout the day. But as far as that solitude, that, that time to take, and listen, this is a spiritual discipline. I don't always feel like doing this. People seem to be under the impression that in order to do anything in life, they have to be motivated or they have to feel like it. Now, discipline, in, and it doesn't matter what area of life we're talking about, Discipline is doing what I don't want to do, but doing it like I love it. Now, I want to pray, but not every day. There are days where I'm exhausted, and I'm tired, and I'm spiritually worn down. You do these things because sometimes sometimes you're doing these things out of spiritual discipline, is my point. And uh, 
I just reject this notion that I should always feel the ooey gooey emotional stuff all the time. That's just not the case. Anyway, my point is simply this. Even Jesus understood the importance of getting away by himself to pray. Let's continue on. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him up and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Please know, by the way, that's an interesting phrase for Jesus to say to Peter, right? You have little faith. But it was Peter who said, bid me to come out and walk on the water. What kind of faith? Think about this. That's, in my human understanding, that's an enormous amount of faith to think to oneself, hey, if Jesus commands it, I could walk on this water. But, and this is a great metaphor for life. Peter has faith. He's got his eyes on Jesus. And since his eyes are on Jesus, he can do just about anything, right? Even walk on the water, too. So he gets out, and he's walking on the water. His eyes are on Jesus. But then he's distracted by the cares of the world, let's say. He looks around. He sees the waves. And now his eyes and his focus isn't on Jesus anymore. It's on the trouble around him. And he begins to sink. This is a great metaphor for real life. If our eyes are on Jesus, our head will stay above water. It doesn't mean there's not crazy things going on around us and troubling things. I mean, we're living in some, term, some terrible and turmoil times. And if, they, if the enemy has it their way, they're going to make it a lot worse as we go into the fall and winter. Make no, make no doubt about it. These people are extraordinarily wicked. And they've got some wicked plans. If you're going to get through this storm, you've got to keep your eyes on Christ. I'm going to read you a beautiful commentary or devotional. It's really short. It will only take a second from F.B. Meyer on this subject. But let's finish the last five verses of our study for this morning. O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Verse 32, And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. 
Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, O truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased, and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. That's the end of the chapter. One last thing I want to point out before I get to this little short devotional here is uh, we think about the hem of the garment. Um, it's probably the seat seats, the, the things they would have attached to the four corners of the garment according to the Torah. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is when we think of that, we just think of the story of the woman who had the bleeding problem, right? And she thought to herself, if I could just touch his garment, then I'll be made whole. And she does, and she is healed. But here we have, like, uh, multiples, right? And they besought him that they might touch the hem of his garment, and as many touched were made perfectly whole. So there's stories, obviously of many people doing this exact same thing. Let me read you this short little devotional from Matthew or from F.B. Meyer. Uh, it's only three short paragraphs to end today. So open up your hearts. This is about that situation with Jesus walking on the water and the storm and all of that. Here's what it says. Jesus always comes in the storm. It had been a great relief to escape from the pressure of the crowd to his place of prayer on heights swept by the evening breeze and lightened by the holy stars. But he tore himself away because his friends needed him. He is watching you also in the storm and will certainly come to your help. He uses the element we dread as the path for his approach. The waves were endangering the boat but Jesus walked on them. In our lives are people and circumstances we dread, but it is through these that the greatest blessings of our lives will come if we look through them to Christ. His coming is sometimes delayed. The gray dawn was already beginning to spread over the scene. The disciples' strength was spent. He was not too late to be of service, but just in time to save them from despair. Be of good cheer. And if Jesus bids you to come to him on the water, always believe that his commands are enabling. Keep looking to him and not at the storm. three phrases there that started each one of those paragraphs to really tuck deep into your heart. Let me read those to you. Again, the first paragraph started with Jesus always comes in the storm. That's number one. Number two, he uses the element we dread as the path for his approach. That thing you hate in your life that trouble in your life that you wish would go away? And then thirdly, his coming is sometimes delayed. 
or at least appearance of delay, right? I thought he was going to take care of this, but here I am in the midst of this problem. Be of good cheer. He will come just in time to save them from the despair. Keep your eyes on him and not on the storm. Thanks for listening this morning, friends. I pray that your hearts have been pierced and that you've been blessed by this teaching. Peace and grace be with all of you, and until next time, God bless.